Welcome to episode 36 of the Everyday Sends podcast. I'm Jack Richardson, joined by Brendan Parks. On this Labor Day weekend, we're recording on Labor Day today. Uh, we're into, into September again. We keep, I think the last three episodes have, have kind of teed it up being like we're getting closer and closer to the season. We're right now less than three weeks before training camp opens. Rookie camp is just around the corner. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to, to get into here, Brennan. So how are you doing on this Labor Day? And then how are you enjoying Labor Day out in Edmonton there? Yeah, well, we've actually got another uh, fire warning in the air. So we're not supposed to be going outside a whole lot, but uh, that is what it is. I mean, I don't notice it too much. So for me, I'm, I'm doing well today and I've got my three days off here so uh, we can get some content out. And, and, you know, I think today we've got some actual like updates to talk about, which is good. It's been a while since we've had any real news for the Sens. Um, so we're going to get into that. But yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's September now, September 4th, which it just feels like time is flying for me. And now the Sens season is right around the corner. Like we've got games starting in a couple weeks here. So I'm excited to hear preseason coming up and then rookie tournament, like tons of stuff to cover. Uh, and before we know it, we're going to be right back to covering, you know, actual hockey games. And it feels like every offseason for me, it feels like months and months have gone by. Like, I don't know why it just feels forever since the the end of last season, uh, even though it's only been like like four months. It, it just feels like it's been a year. So uh, I'm I'm excited to get back into it. And I can't wait to just like accelerate the clock here and get us to, to sense hockey is how I'm feeling. Yeah, that, that's the same same feeling here. And, you know, in, in Ottawa, we got a heat warning going on, for God's sake. Like, it's it's a little all over the place, but um, fall and hockey is right around the corner. We're, like we said, less than a, uh, three weeks, sorry, until players report for training camp. So the Sens news we've got to talk about is it wasn't really, you know, a huge headline. It was kind of, I don't want to say a throw-in, but people are wondering about it because as time goes by, uh, we're going to wonder more. And... Look, there's two players now that that still don't have contracts that are kind of figured into the team's plans, and that's Shane Pinto and Igor Sokolov. And, you know, we're going to talk about Pinto today, but we've obviously had Sokolov on, and we want him to be signed as soon as possible as well. But you'd imagine that Pinto will be the first domino to fall, a trade maybe to clear up some money, and then Sokolov will go. But, um, yeah, we're going to talk about Shane Pinto. So Bruce Garriock had a little bit of an article uh, with DJ you know, an interview with DJ Smith and he was just talking how DJ is confident about this season. He's excited, feeling good. We talked about DJ a couple episodes ago or last episode, just about what we feel going into this season. So we really already covered that. But in that article too, uh, Bruce has a little paragraph, little blurb about Pinto. And the quote was that the Sens and him are not close on a contract. And that's just an alarming kind of headline for me to read because we're now into September, like we said. Um, and this is kind of when things start to heat up. I think it doesn't really matter from August to like, it doesn't matter if it happens August 1st or August 31st in the grand scheme of things, you know, even Brady Kachuk that one year where he held out signed on opening day, he missed a couple games, but he still signed. Right. So it doesn't really matter, but it shouldn't be a huge deal. And that's not to say that it's not an important contract, but this isn't going to be a four or five, six year contract. So something is obviously like they're hitting a bump in the road here. So what's your take on all this? And obviously on the headline there for those watching on the YouTube, we've got players report on September 21st. That's to training camp. Not when they actually hit the ice. I think it's just like physicals and all that. I believe that's the date. So uh, how do you feel just about them not being particularly close at this point? Yeah, I, I feel concerned. I mean, concerned and not concerned because like you said, players do like hold out and it does happen. They miss camp and then they end up signing right before the season or, or whatever it is. Um, and hopefully that'll be the case again. I think, Pinto has talked about it before, how he's like bought into this team mentality too. I'd be surprised if in a season that carries so much importance, like he ends up holding out. 
But again, like it does happen and players have to worry about themselves too. So uh, Ottawa has like 895,000 in cap space right now. So obviously that's not enough for Pinto uh, for Sokolov maybe, but they might want to get Pinto done before Sokolov. I'm not sure. Um, I, I wasn't expecting this though, to actually hear that they're not close. Uh, that could obviously be posturing a little bit too, but it just, I don't know. For me, it's a, it's a little concerning and I'm, I said before I was hoping that Pierre Dorian signed Vladimir Tarasenko after doing his homework and like talking to Shane Pinto and being like, hey, we're going to bring this guy in for five million and then it's going to be harder to sign you. We might have to get you to sign for a bit less, you know, for a year or something, and then we can re-up you next year. Right. And then it would have all worked out and Pinto bought in. But I don't think that happened. It seems like Pierre just kind of signed uh, Tarasenko, which isn't a terrible idea anyways. But, um, you know. I don't know, a little willy-nilly, and, and now he's kind of paying the consequences. I still think, though, like we've said, it's going to just come down to, to a trade. Like, I think they're going to have to move somebody. Um, Matthew Joseph is the guy who, unfortunately, just isn't performing up to his contract, one of the only guys on the team. And and if they can move him with a second-round pick, I think it's worth it at this point, uh, which would suck. And I, and, I mean, it's not worth it to move him. I'd rather have him. But if you are going to lose out on Shane Pinto because of it, it's like you have to do something, right? So might have to bite the bullet. Obviously, there's like Artem Zub, Anton Forsberg. Those are other guys. Uh, Eric Brandstrom might make a little bit of sense too. Two million there. You could probably sign Pinto with that. But then you don't have Brandstrom. And now all of a sudden, your defensive depth is not nearly as good that we love so much. So um, it's kind of a, a tough situation we're in here. Because if you're trading anybody, like the team does take a hit. Even Joseph didn't have a great year last year. No, but he was still a very good defensive forward. Said it a million times. One of four positive players at 5v5 for Ottawa. So. Um, I don't want to lose a guy like that, but at the same time, like I said, if you're going to miss out on Shane Pinto, like if we just theorize for a minute here, I mean, if we talk about not having Pinto in the lineup, it really sucks. Like it really hurts Ottawa. Um, of course he was on the second line last year. Now they've got Norris, but like it goes from Pinto, Kubelik and, and Greg, for example, an excellent third line to, you know, Greg Kubelik and, and I don't even know. Like, who's your third line center then? You're, are you going to sign Derek Broussard back or something? Like, that's the type of move you're going to have to do if you don't have Pinto. Um, and yeah, I mean, regardless of, of whether he signs or not, it would be unfortunate for him to miss out on even training camp, in my opinion. I want to get him back on the ice, especially with you know, still the slight injury worries in his career. So I'm hoping they can kind of get him warmed up for the season. But yeah, this is kind of concerning, in my opinion. Yeah. And look, there's no, there's no, um, I, I, I don't want to say, truth to this because it's just speculation from what i'm about to say here but um maybe maybe the the fact that trent mann's gone has something to do with this and i'm not saying pierre dorian doesn't like shane pinto because he should and he's he's an important part of this team now but when dorian drafted pinto i think the story around the time was that trent mann was going to quit if they traded that pick or something like that because they were thinking of moving back or whatever um because he loves shane pinto and like it's, you know, elephant in the room is that Trent Mann's been dismissed from the team recently, like this summer, and it's a bit of a murky situation. So uh, that has to be kind of at, at the forefront as well. I'm not saying that, you know, Pinto is holding out because of Trent Mann being gone, but just the fact that there could be some disdain from Dorian. I don't know. And also another factor is imminently Michael Anlauer is going to be taking over this team on September 14th, I want to say. Um, Mark Sutcliffe, uh, the mayor of Ottawa, is holding a I, I, I want to say like a council meeting or like a, like a pretty much a press conference to kind of introduce Ann Lauer. It's scheduled. And the, the thinking is that if, if Ann Lauer doesn't have control of the team by then it'll be postponed or moved. But the thinking is that at that point he'll have control. So 
my point is that's before training camp. And I've had this conversation with some people already. Like if you're Ann Lauer and yeah, you don't want to mess up the core roster at all going into this season because Dorian's done some pretty neat work to kind of pivot off of this Debrinket thing. And they brought in some depth, uh, depth defensemen, depth forwards. And you want to, you want to not mess with that. And that to me includes not messing with the coach. But if you're a player and your GM gets fired right before training camp, to me, if anything, that just makes everyone kind of want to play harder for a new GM, for a new set of eyes. And they probably will anyway with a new owner. But I would say that if if I had to pick one guy who's probably gone, if Ann Lauer is going to get someone out of there, it's Dorian. And I've been on the train that I think he should have been gone a, a little while ago. But it's not to say that it's even against him. I think it's just that a new owner coming in, it just makes sense. And I think the timeline, even though it might seem kind of quick and a little bit too soon, it might line up for that to happen. And I think that doing that would, would I want to, I want to say like kind of word this carefully, but doing that would, would be an okay move. I would say like, if you're, if you're Brady Kachuk in the roster, you're, you're so far removed from the front office stuff, right. Until after your contract negotiation, like you're, you're so far removed from them. You don't really see them that often, but with a coach, like you're seeing them every day, it's like kind of part of your team. Right. So it'd be a big culture uh, shock if they get rid of DJ for the team. And I'd be worried about that messing with team chemistry early on, but with Dorian, like, I don't think it matters. So anyway, my point is with this Pinto thing is that could maybe be stalling things. Like maybe as we get closer here, the Sens and Dorian are realizing I'm not going to be around to finish this contract negotiation. Maybe that's the case. Now him signing Brandstrom right off the bat and, you know, getting Tarasenko, making the Debrinket trade, like he's obviously still got control and I'm not doubting that. It's just that maybe there's some, like, like it, it's not nothing I, I should say. Right. I don't think Ann Lauer is going to step in and then Pinto will sign the next day, but that's, that's a factor. Like I think it's, it's part of it. And, um, they could be completely unrelated, but it's another thing to talk about too. So, uh, you know, we've got Ann Lauer taking over in the next 10 days, probably. Uh, and it's been a long process. It's been like three months since he, um, since he took over, since he was reported to buy the team. So anyway, I don't really have a point in that whole thing. I'm just, there's a lot going on, I guess. Um, I'm going to ask you, what do you like? Just talk about Shane Pinto's value because last year he did struggle. Um, you know, I'd say for the majority of the year, it was kind of, his start was really good. He had seven goals in nine games or something like that. And then Norris got hurt and then he kind of just dropped off. And I think that's matchups. He was a rookie. It was his first full year coming off a big injury. Like no one's doubting Shane Pinto going forward. I think everyone's pretty, you know, we've both talked, you've, you've said it more than I have, especially like he's going to price himself out of Ottawa. Eventually, probably he's that number one candidate. So uh, talk about his value to the team this upcoming season and what him as a third line center means for them going forward this year, trying to push for a playoff spot. Yeah. Well, Pinto, I think as a player, he's a great two way guy. So he's got, obviously he's a 20 goal scorer, but I think like he's an underrated defensive player too. In college, he always talked about how he wanted to be this really good defensive player. Um, like, I think his value for Ottawa is more positionally than anything, though. They've obviously got Timmy and, and Norris in the top six center roles, but having Pinto on the third line, like I said earlier, is just the depth, right? It provides you with so much depth. And we saw it last year in Ottawa. It killed them. They had no depth, right? And mainly because of injuries. Yes, that doesn't matter. Just like rolling out Dylan Gambrell and, and these guys on the third and fourth lines who just, they were fringe NHL players who really couldn't hold their own against, you know, most other third and fourth lines in the league. 
like now you bring in Pinto and, and you form that great line of Pinto, Kubalik, and, and whoever you want to put with them. And suddenly you've got a third line who can compete probably with like the top lines of the leagues if you need them to, right? In a more shutdown role. Uh, that Ottawa just didn't have that last year. And, and they won't have it if Pinto's not there. Because again, you're going to be filling that third line center role with somebody who's probably a fringe NHL player again. And that's just not what a contending team does. Like you need to have not just good depth, but good center depth. Center is the arguably the most posi- most important position in hockey, right? Like you need to have those guys down the middle and not just in your top six, but all the way down. And they've got a great fourth line guy in, in Castellic as well now. So they just need to get somebody in that third line spot. Pinto is the literal perfect fit. There's nobody better than him for that role. I think, yeah, he's a great goal scorer and everything. That's awesome. But like I said, he, he's really like deep down. He's a two-way guy. He's not just a sniper. Like he's a guy who's actually fit for like a middle six role where he can play on both sides of the ice. So um, positional value, I think, is the biggest thing for him in Ottawa and why I feel that if he's not there, even if he misses the first five to ten games, it's going to be a big hit for the Sens because they don't really have somebody who can fill a third line center role. It's not just some like plug and play role there. It's a, it's an important role and an important part of the team. So uh, I think getting Pinto signed is like the number one priority right now. They need to figure it out, whether it is, you know, they're waiting for a, a change when Anlauer comes in or anything like if Pinto is missing time in camp and preseason and then anything in the regular season, it's a hit for Ottawa because not, not like even if he does sign before the regular season, it's just, we've seen the slow starts. We've seen players get hurt early. Like we, we cannot risk a single thing with Pinto here. Uh, and coming in cold or getting hurt because he didn't warm up at all. Like you just, you can't risk that in my opinion. And and yeah, for, for value, I just think that he's a great two way guy uh, and his being a center, it just, it, it holds, you know, immense value for the sentence. So um, this is number one on my list right now. Yeah. I, I think that another thing with, with Pinto is I've said it with Sanderson. I said it, I remember it was our first episode. Like I said, Jake Sanderson's the, the con Smythe guy. And um, when they end up winning, you know, if they end up winning, he'll be that the MVP of the playoff run. Pinto to me is the guy who who will get hot for a series. And I think that seven goals in nine games kind of shows that like he'll, he'll be the guy who could be an MVP of a series. And he's that offensive depth that you need in the playoffs, but he's also going to be responsible to a center. Like I remember when it was the 2019 world junior. So it was right after his draft or maybe the year before, after his draft. So 2020 or whatever it was, um, he, he had a great, he had a great world juniors and it was because it was kind of his coming out party for sense fans, I think. And it was mixed with, you know, the Jake Sanderson and all that. Like, um, and, and I just remember him kind of being one of the best forwards on team USA. I think they were disappointing that year, but I believe he was the top point getter or top forward. He might've won um, for them at the tournament. Like he, he's a, a big time player. He was huge at North Dakota. He had in his final year, I think he won top defensive forward, top offensive forward. He's basically the MVP of that division. Um, he, he's not, he's not, uh, a prospect or a player you want to give up. And we were, you know, every time, like, especially last summer, like in Chikrin trade talks and trade proposals and Debrinket and all these other players that were available, it was other teams were looking at guys like Pinto and Sanderson and Greg and all that. And Pinto was the guy you never wanted to give up. And I think, I think coming to a point where you don't want to give them up because of a contract, like, listen. I, I would be super, super surprised if the Sens are kind of balking at Pinto asking for like, sorry, I should say I'd be surprised if Pinto's asking for anything more than two and a half on a, on a short-term deal. Like, I think that's, that'd be crazy. And if that's the case, this really could just be a, a holdup in trying to move Matthew Joseph because Matthew Joseph makes 2.9. 
And if Pinto's asking for 2.5, like you said, they have 890 something in cap space, not enough clearly. So they got to move someone. So maybe that's the holdup. And, but the report or the, the, I guess report, yeah, from Bruce Garriock and that they're not close. Maybe this, if the Sens are balking at two and a half, that's surprising to me because once you move Joseph, why are you pinching pennies? Because then you've got all this room and you just have to sign this guy. So again, maybe that's Pinto's camp's thinking is like, look, if you're going to move Joseph anyway, why can't we just have the extra cookie? And I was talking about this when the Brinkett was, you know, that whole th- situation was going down in July when we we were going back and forth about what he was worth. And it was, if you get to Brinkett for seven and a half, that extra money you save on, you know, save because he was going to get nine or whatever was just going to end up going to Pinto and Brandstrom. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, and, and yeah, I, I would, I would be, pretty surprised if it's anything more than a two-year deal too to be honest like i think i think it'll be a short term he is a candidate to price himself out of here like realistically there's no way up from where he is right now which is kind of a bleak outlook on on his projection because i do think he can be a second line center at, at his peak um but he probably won't be here and even if even if he outplays josh norris and at some in the next two years or whatever norris is going to be the guy who's here because of his contract so it's it's a difficult situation for Pinto. Maybe he's noticing that, but from all intents, like he just seems like a down to earth kind of person who enjoys Ottawa. Had a good season here. He's got a lot of friends, obviously, like all his North Dakota buddies are here. He seems pretty tight with the team, so I don't think there's anything in that regard that would be alarming. It just is probably just money. And we should also mention like a lot of other RFA's around the league haven't signed yet. Like Trevor Zegers is probably the biggest one who hasn't signed a deal. Um, so maybe that's a domino they want to see fall first. I'm not really sure, but. Uh, it, it's concerning to me for sure that Pinto has not signed yet. And we're, if, if you have anything else on, on Pinto. Not really. I mean, I think just like you said, it could be just a hold up with the trade thing too. And maybe they've, you know, they're trying to find an alternate solution to trading Joseph or I don't know. I mean, there's so much speculation. Like I've seen people too. I mean, obviously this would be really bad in every context, but like people have talked about the, the world junior thing. Right. And like, if a suspension comes out for Drake Batherson, all speculatory we don't even want to get into it but um like that that's another thing that would like clear money obviously and if the team knows anything then maybe that's the hold up like there's a million different avenues to go down here but um ultimately like it just comes down to, to getting him signed if that means trading joseph if that means waiting for an announcement if that means whatever it means like there there's gonna be a path to signing him so just get it done right um and yeah i'm pretty much good on pinto otherwise i think projection too we could just kind of quickly like i think i think like i'm gonna say he's gonna go for like two years at at two to 2.5 million that's kind of my standard projection for him and i do think though that he is a candidate who could make a little more than we're expecting to um i I think like two to two and a half is what i'm comfortable with but then i also could see him getting three i I just like it would be a little high but i just feel like maybe he's asking that after you know he was out for a whole year and now he just played 82 games maybe he doesn't want to risk the whole injury thing again he wants to get signed for at least a little bit of you know comfort Uh, after playing a full 82 game season because again who knows you get hurt again next year and then if he only signs a one-year deal he's in a tough spot next summer and i don't think his agent would advise him to to risk that so uh, i don't know i mean there's there's a hundred avenues like i said but uh, it ultimately just comes down to getting him signed and and doing whatever it takes to make that happen because if you're missing pinto and and who is your third line center entering the season a season in which expectations are everything like you are in a really rough spot for for the sense team who wants to make the playoffs 
That's actually a good point. Yeah, maybe Pinto is the one pushing for term and the Sens can't make the money work because if he gets a four or five year deal, that'll probably have to go up, I'd imagine, to four or five million-ish. So um, yeah, we'll keep our eye on that. That's an interesting you know, storyline to follow. I'm sure it'll it'll get sorted before camp. I don't see this being a holdout kind of situation. Like it's rarely, really, really rare, I should say, that players hold out and I'm not dissing Shane Pinto at all, but it's extremely rare for non- top end top end players to hold out in camp so i imagine this gets sorted in the next couple of weeks here as people come back to ottawa and all of that so we'll keep our eye on that actually it's good segue because we're doing our comparison with the new jersey devils today which is i believe pinto's hometown team um i think he's from closest to there that's the rink so we teased it last time but we kind of ran out of time because we got going with those espn point projections on uh, episode 35 so we'll do the devils and sends comparison now and this is one that i i've been excited for because i think a lot of fans have uh i don't want to say compared but looked at new jersey as the template for what the sends should do because we talked about it before that they're just a year ahead of the sends timeline and the hughes and stutzel debate is probably one that's the most fun i think in the league they're the closest i can think of um in terms of like i think stutzel's right there with jack hughes just based on their career, like he's a year behind. Hughes has played four years. Stutzel's played three. The point projections, point productions, all on the same pace. So um, no reason to believe that they shouldn't be in the same category. Contracts are similar. Like it's it's pretty close. And, you know, even Nico Heischer was 2017. He's their captain. Uh, Brady Kachuk drafted in 2018 for the Sens. He's their captain now. Like it's, there's a lot of comparisons. So we're going to go through this. The Devils are what the Sens should be doing next year. Um, what sorry, what the Devils did last year, the Sens should be held to that standard this year. So, with that in mind, let's compare the rosters today, uh, right now, Ottawa and the New Jersey Devils. Uh, let's get going here with the top lines. All right, yes. Yeah, so, I'll pull it up again for people on the YouTube. Um, we've got the whole cap friendly thing pulled up. And if you haven't seen the series, we're doing it by cap friendly's depth chart, which is kind of sorted by money. So we're more doing it like tiers of players, not just line versus line, but we will go through line versus line for the sake of uh, ease and convenience. So we'll start off. So obviously for Ottawa, you've got their top line of Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, and it's going to be Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, that was Claude Giroux last year. You can swap them, whatever you want to do, but we're going to say Vladimir Tarasenko um, versus, you know, Jesper Bratt, Jack Hughes, and Tyler Toffoli in New Jersey, which is an interesting uh, trio. And I think a very comparable trio. So like you said, um, Right off the bat, the most interesting comparison in this whole thing for me is Hughes versus Stutzla. And that's just because they're very similar, like in regards to points and, and style and skill. And it's like people around the league think that Hughes is like way, way better than Stutzla. And this is not even a close thing. I will say, like, I think Hughes is above him right now for sure, but he's also a year older. And Timmy is on that same projection where he's like slated to break out for 100 points next year. So I think at the end of this coming year, uh, we could be looking at this a whole lot differently and think that Tim is right there neck and neck with Hughes, uh, which you you might already. And I mean, I think he's close. I just I think Hughes has the edge based on last year. So um, regardless of that, I think then you've got Kachuk versus, you know, Brat. Um, I would like Brat obviously is a very talented, skilled player, um, but Brady brings everything. Brady brings that whole complete, you know, the grit, the physicality, the scoring, the points like he, he had more than brat in every category along with the, the every other attribute so uh, i think brady is in a tier above brat and then you've got to who i really like to i do um 
he's an interesting one because he scored 34 goals last year, obviously 73 points, but he's also, I don't know, like he's not Toffoli is someone who I would have liked to bring in, but he's not like in my mind, a game breaker. He's just, I don't know. I, something about his skating throws me off, throws me for a loop, but uh, regardless, he's a good player and I think he'll be a good fit in New Jersey. So that top line is good. What I'm immediately noticing about New Jersey's lineup is that they're extremely deep uh, more so than just having these like top stars. So like in my mind, I'm going to be taking Kachuk, Stutzla. I mean, this is tough because Hughes is, we're going to get back to that Trump card a little bit where Hughes is, is kind of the top dog here. But uh, I think like Kachuk, Stutzla, like Giroux, uh, and, and these guys are kind of above uh, New Jersey's top guys uh, aside from maybe Hughes. But uh, for the top lines, like I, I'm going to, I don't know, they're pretty close just because they've got Jack Hughes over there. So it's Kachuk, Stutzla, Tarasenko, right? I think Tarasenko and Toffoli are very comparable. I think Toffoli probably has the edge on him, but Tarasenko, based on not this past year, but the year before that, was very close to that as well, uh, even better than Toffoli was last year. So I think they're comparable. And then you've got Hughes and Brad versus Kachuk and Stutzla. Um, I like Kachuk and Stutzla just because, I, I, I mean, like I said, Kachuk is the well-rounded piece, right? Like he brings everything um, that Hughes and Brad don't bring. And then Timmy is, I'd say, a few spots behind Hughes in, in regards to center comparisons. but. Um, I, I project him to be very close to him at the end of this coming year. So how do you feel about those top trios and maybe a little bit of tier discussion as well? Yeah, th- this team is this team is very good. Um, that's the first thing I like. I was obviously, as you were talking, I was listening and I was looking to at the the, um, the depth, like Andre Pallot on the third line. We'll get to all that, obviously, but um, it's a it's a very, very deep team. Uh, so team wise, I'm, I'm already going to say I think the Devils are a way better team than the Sens. But the Sens can get on that trajectory just with the age and they can get up there. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm, it's so tough. Hughes and Suzel are neck and neck to me. I think I'm going to give the edge to Timmy and it's, it's going to sound dinosaurish of me, but he's just bigger. And I think he plays a more physical game. Um, I think, I think Hughes, Hughes has had some injury trouble and not that I'm expecting him to have more injury trouble, but like he's, yeah, and actually, I should say too, he surprised me in the playoffs. Like he was very, very good in the playoffs in a physical, you know, series against the Rangers. He was very good. So, um, I, I I'm gonna take Stutzla though, just because I think um, the the size and the way Stutzla plays, he plays a hard game. Where I don't know if Hughes can play that style. So my my point is, if it gets chippy and stuff, and if it gets rough and all of this, like I'd like Stutzla over Hughes, but. It's so close. And I would even argue that it's not even a trump card. Like it's like a they're they're that neck and neck. Even Brat and Kachuk, like I'm gonna take Brady Kachuk too, like just like you, but Jesper Bratt's a hell of a player too. Like he's not anything to to scoff at at all. So um it's really close. So maybe for the benefit of the exercise, I'll just take Hughes and Kachuk, let's say. Um, but I again, like people know obviously we're we're huge <laughs> Tim Stutzla guys, and he could go out and get hundred points next year and just outproduce Hughes. Uh, for all we know, so that that's completely possible, but it's very very close on that top line. Toffoli, um, I'll take Toffoli over Tarasenko just because I think I mean he, he had a better year last year, but like it's kind of neither here nor there, right? I mean, I mean, I also don't know if Toffoli's going to play on that top line. So this is again one of those situations where Cap Friendly could just be putting this depth chart out there. We don't know, but I mean that second line for New Jersey is a hell of a line too. So I can just skip to that. Like I'm probably taking. New Jersey's top line I think like it's that top line is close it's very close to me the second line's not a question I'm taking New Jersey's and I again I like Ottawa's depth but 
like Nico Heischer to me is a first line center. Um, like I didn't even know he had 80 points last year. I'm not going to lie. He was a point per game player on that second line. It's a very impressive. Um, so that one, two punch that New Jersey has is quite, quite something. Timo Meyer. I, I love Timo Meyer. When I was talking about, you know, Hughes not really playing a physical game and that being his only downfall, really. Uh, Timo Meyer brings all of that. He's a, another great power forward. I think you think honestly, in terms of power forwards in the league, it's the Kachucks and then probably Timo Meyer. I'd say he's the next best one. So that's a great second line. And then Dawson Mercer is probably my favorite player on this list. I love watching that kid play. Like he is, he is a fun, fun player to watch. And I think for most of last year, he might've been on the second line or the third line, sorry, as a centerman, but um, I mean, I'm sure they've moved things around and will continue to do so. So like the New Jersey second lineman, it might, it might be a sweep for the devils for me. I don't know if you feel the same, but like Josh Norris at his peak, I think could rival Nico. Heischer just in the sense that he's kind of advertised as a goal scoring second line, you know, defensive center for Norris. Um, but he sure, he sure is a Selkie candidate. Like he's a, he's that good defensively already. And I, I just like, and they're the same age because the same draft, you know, 2017, like I, th- I think he sure is a great, great second line, um, shutdown kind of guy. So I'm going to go with a sweep for New Jersey and I know. And, and like Jeru's there too, but man, I feel, I feel kind of guilty saying this, but like, I, I might take Dawson Mercer over Jeru just because of where he's going to play. Like, I don't know if that's crazy. That might be the only one I can kind of be convinced on, but I'm taking Timo Meyer over, uh, over Giroux or Batherson. And then I'm taking, um, Heischer over Norris. So how about, how do you feel about the second line? Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I think New Jersey's second line is just ridiculous. That's uh, egregious. And again, they might, they might not actually line up like this. It might be like, I don't know, Mercer on the top line, Meyer on the top. I don't know how it's going to work, but regardless of that, like you said, I think for me, I'd probably take Giroux over Mercer based on last year. But again, Mercer could easily break out and, and even further. And suddenly you're like at the end of the next year, you're thinking like, OK, I would take Mercer and maybe Giroux regresses a little bit. Um, it doesn't even matter because I would still take New Jersey's second line as a whole. And I would take their top six as a whole because of that. Um, and, and that's tough. I mean, Ottawa's got a good top six, right? Like we're talking about six really, really good players. But I just think New Jersey's got like uh, that's just great balance that's excellent in every regard they have no liabilities there it's just i don't know they're, they're close in regards to top sixes if you factor in like a chuck and stutzel and stuff but i still think new jersey's got the edge there and, and they showed that last year too it just they worked very well uh, as a whole together so i think adding meyer to it's going to be a, a lethal combo for new jersey and that that lineup is just like they they should be a favorite for the cup because they are very impressive um so i don't even have anything else in the second line because I mean, yeah, Norris could try and compare with Heischer, but right now I think Heischer's a few steps ahead of him. It's just, I think he's he's got the well-rounded game. We need to see Norris, you know, stay healthy and then produce and play well defensively. So uh, Ottawa's still got something to prove, whereas New Jersey's kind of proved it. And, and that's the whole point of this one too, is that like Ottawa, it feels like they should be a year behind New Jersey in regards to a timeline. Um, I don't know if they're going to have the perfect season where they break out and suddenly at the start of next year, we're saying Ottawa's the Stanley Cup favorite. But like, uh, I, I think we can kind of follow the same trajectory in a little bit, like where they kind of break out and they become a good contending team uh, pretty quickly. So that's what I'm expecting. But yeah, uh, New Jersey's got the the stacked power forwards. I don't even know how anybody's going to compete with them. So um, going on to the third line here, we'll just get into it and we can kind of do the bottom six too, but we'll start with the third line. So that's Andre Palat, Eric Halla, and Alexander Holtz. Um, obviously 
Holtz is expected to make the team, played 19 games last year, still trying to prove himself, but a, a talented player. Uh, regardless, having Andre Palat on your third line is certainly something. Uh, Hala, as well as a good player. And, and this is where I talked about how I would take Ottawa's third line over more, most third lines in the league. Um, I'm probably going to take New Jersey's here too as a whole. And it's just a fact of having depth, right? Like Hull and Palat are two very good players who I would take each of over like Pinto and Kubalik, for example. I mean, they're just, that that's how it is, right? And then Alex Holtz, like you can argue, Ridley Gregg's comparable. Um, they're kind of on the same same prospect path as well, same age. Um, and, and Holtz was 2020 as well, I think, wasn't he? So yeah, so that, that they're very comparable then. Um, and But Hull and, and Palak at the edge for me and then like whoop de doo guess what I'm also taking New Jersey's fourth line because Ottawa's fourth line is really Mark Castlick right now and then a couple of unknowns so uh, it, it's interesting talk but I think that as a whole like New Jersey's forward group is just ahead and I'll let you get into the bottom six too but um, the the thing here is just depth it's depth and it's just being able to balance the lineup regardless of how New Jersey actually stacks their bottom six like any combo here is is very very good um and and so is their top six they really don't have a lot of weaknesses on forward no that's the thing it's a very very good forward group uh the thing that's funny to me is and i'll talk about the third line in a bit but the fourth line like i think last year was mcleod bastion and miles wood i want to say so wood left and then they go out and get another top end fourth liner in the league who was in boston last year and thomas nosick so like they just pivoted perfectly like I, I think that's one of the best fourth lines in the league um the third line to me too is, is, is great. Like Andre Palat, like you said, on your third line, he obviously had injury trouble last year, had a bit of a down year. Um, but I think he also was pretty good in the playoffs. Uh, and Paula had a, be- a big year as a third line player, like, and Holtz, like uh, the talents there. I mean, Holtz and Ridley Gregg, if that's the comparison, I mean, I'm taking Holtz just, I mean, in the draft, he was in a different tier than Greg was, but, um, it, it, maybe it could be a situation where, where Greg outperforms Holtz next year. I don't know, but, New Jersey's prospect pool is so deaf. They've got Ottawa, um, you know, Ottawa native uh, Graham Clark as well as as a kind of a sleeper prospect. Their defense prospects are just loaded, and we'll get into that in a second here. But yeah, if, let's do. I'll do tiers for the forwards a little bit quickly here. Like, I think I think I would go Hughes, and I mean it's probably Hughes, Heischer, Kachuk, Stutzel, isn't it? Like, I think I think maybe the edge New Jersey has the biggest edge they have is having Heischer and Hughes on different lines. I mean, if if we go into next year and Stutzel and Kachuk can prove that they can be dynamic on different lines, maybe it's a different discussion. But I think having Hughes and Heischer on different lines, you know, it it makes them have two first lines. It really does. And um, like I said, Heischer is a top line center in my end. And if if he's a, your second line guy, then you're winning. So their center depth, or I mean, at least, like, here's the thing. So, Barring the Shane Pinto contract, I think Pinto can be a better player than Eric Halla. Like, I think, what, Halla had 41 points. I think Pinto had 35. Pinto had more goals. Like, it was, it's pretty close. So, Pinto is obviously much younger. Like, if Pinto can have a 50-point year as a third-line center or, like, get closer to 30 goals somehow, um, that's a different discussion. So, maybe I take Ottawa's third line in that sense. But going into next year, I think you just got to take this third line because it's it's really good. Um, and that, that forward core is impressive. It really is. So. Uh, kudos to New Jersey. They, you know, they're taking advantage of some entry level deals there too with Dawson Mercer on your second line. Um, it's impressive. It's impressive. It really is. Yeah, and and it's funny because they were chanting to fire Lindy Ruff at the start of last season. Like it's crazy how fast New Jersey turned from being 
a bottom dweller to being a top contender. Like there was literally fire Lindy chance at the start of last year. And then they ended up, you know, coming out and, and winning however many games in a row. And it's just, they've just taken that step. And I'm, I'm really hoping Ottawa can do the same thing of just taking that step um, quicker than the league is ready for. You know what I mean? Like just take the league, you know, by the horns and, and just like prove yourself quickly because that's where Ottawa should be. So we will move on to the defense. Uh, and this is an, another interesting group. And I guess we'll just show the goalies too here. So uh, yeah. So for, defense you've got luke hughes and dougie hamilton and luke hughes is a very a very uh interesting topic because he's like arguably the best defensive prospect in the world right now and he's um projected to be you know a number one guy he's he's extremely good so uh luke hughes and dougie hamilton makes up if that is the pairing makes up a very strong top pairing assuming that hughes is ready for for that kind of role in the nhl he's still only 19 but um Obviously, if you compare that to Shabbat and Chikrin, like the Shabbat and Chikrin's a hard combo to beat. Uh, and it's hard to even compare because we don't know what Hughes is going to be necessarily at the, the NHL level yet. Um, but projection wise, like that is a hard combo to beat in New Jersey, too. So I think um, it depends on what the season that Hughes has. But Hamilton is above like everybody in Ottawa. Hamilton's that top guy. He's a top 10 defenseman in my books. Um Whereas Shabbat and Chicken are like top 30 guys. And then, you know, if we, we can compare the top four to like they've got Kevin Ball and John Marino, um, which is I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with where Ball's development is at. He's obviously the former 67, but uh, Marino is somebody that we wanted in Ottawa last year. We wanted them to go out and get him uh, in the offseason and they didn't. And, and I think they were interested in him. It came out, but they, they didn't end up getting him. So he was really good in New Jersey, too. Um, and, and so that top four is pretty hard to beat. I'd say it's similar in the sense that you've got Shabbat and Chikrin and then Hughes and Hamilton. And then you've got um, you've got Marino and Ball and Ball is like on tier with Zub kind of in, in that like shutdown kind of complimentary role. And then Sanderson and Marino, who obviously I'm going to take Sanderson, but um, as a whole, like it's going to be hard to beat Dougie Hamilton, who's your sort of trump card. And then Luke Hughes could very well be, have a season like Jake Sanderson just did next year. So. What do you think about the uh, the top four comparison here? Um, I'm going to take Ottawa's, and yeah. this might be the the hotter take, I guess, for for um, this segment if you want. But like, yeah, Luke Hughes, is, Luke Hughes is going to be a great player. Dougie Hamilton's the best defenseman of either team. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, but Hughes to me is in the same spot that Sanderson was in last season, right? You don't know what you're going to get from him in his first full year. Now this kid could go out and win the Calder because he's that kind of talent. Um, and he'll certainly get the recognition just with the name and the team he's on. So like, I, I'm not doubting Luke Hughes at all. I'm just saying like going into next year, because technically I guess you could say Shabbat and Chikrin are also a bit of a question mark. They haven't played a ton of time together. Neither of these two, like Hughes and Hamilton haven't played a ton together. Um, this decor took a hit because Ryan Graves left. He went to Pittsburgh. So I think, I think top like top pairing is, is maybe you give the edge to New Jersey just because of Hamilton. Um, but second pairing, I'm taking Ottawa's in a heartbeat, like not even close. And maybe if they, New Jersey ends up running like a Luke Hughes and Marino, then it's a different discussion. Like that's kind of really close, I think to, um, Zub and Sanderson actually, because Hughes and Sanderson are pretty, going to be pretty comparable, going to be compared their whole careers. Probably, um, you know, you'll do a, a Stutzel and Hughes and then a Sanderson and Hughes will be doing that for a while. Assuming both teams can compete on the same timeline. Um, and yeah, like, like 
Kevin Ball, I, I think he's he's a big defenseman. I I watched, you know, played 42 games last year. It's not nothing. He uh he'll just be in a larger role this year, it looks like. Um, bottom pairing though, like Siegenthaler is a great player too. So I could see him moving up. Like that's again where they have the edge, I think. And not that I'm taking either of these guys over Brandstrom, let's say, but um I think having both of them, like Colin Miller and Jonas Siegenthaler, like that's that's better than Brandstrom Hamannick or Brandstrom JBD right now. Um, it could be the reverse where Brandstrom's the better player of the two, but I would take both of them over just having one Brandstrom, if that makes sense. So um, I'll take new, I'm going to take Ottawa's D because I think their top four is better overall, but that's just because they like New Jersey took a hit. If, if it was Ryan Graves and Marino, then I think it's again, New Jersey, no question. Um, but I think that's where Ottawa has an edge now is in that top four because of their strength uh, with Shabbat and Chikrin with ball or with uh, Sanderson and Zub. Like that's a very, very solid top four. So, uh, but uh, unless you ask ESPN, they don't think so. But um, that's where I'm at with the defense. Like I give the edge to New Jersey's bottom pairing for sure. Um, and then, yeah, like I think I think that's kind of it. I mean, goaltending, call me crazy, I'm going with Ottawa. Uh, I think Vanacek had a great year last year. He fell off though towards the end and like in the playoffs. And then they went with Schmid, who he's young. Like he need, he hasn't played a full year yet. Now those stats that both of them have though are very good and that's how you make the playoffs you have to have good goaltending um but i'm, I'm gonna take ottawa's I, again like i don't know if that's a crazy thing to say i think new jersey was in a position to succeed last year because they just got saves they got the saves they needed they're a good enough team to make up for mid goaltending let's say and that's why i think the sends are comparable like i think they're in the same spot where if you get a 922 and a 911 out of corpus Allo and forsberg next year we're, we're golden like that should be a playoff team no doubt so um where do you stand with the goaltending and maybe just the defense overall like i think i'll do tiers like hamilton's definitely better than anyone the Sens have but it's not on the level of like a charlie mcavoy or an adam or not an adam fox but uh erasmus dalene like i think those two are better than hamilton um so it almost it's almost not even a trump card if that makes sense like i think i think chikrin can play at dougie hamilton's level i don't think that's a a crazy thing to say um, but it's, can you get 82 games out of that top four for Ottawa? Like Hamilton's the only one who played 82 games. Siegenthaler played 80 and Miller played 79. Like they're going to need some more consistency from that top four. Cause those games played numbers are a little skewed. So I'm curious. And obviously elephant in the room for the devils is they have si- Simon Nemich, um, probably one of the other top defensive prospects in the league. And I don't, I believe he's in the AHL, so he could come up at any moment and just kind of light the world on fire. So they're in a very, very good spot prospect wise, current team wise. So, um, look out for New Jersey, but that's where I I think I'm giving the Sens the edge on defense and goaltending, which is crazy. Yeah, it does seem crazy considering they're like a favorite, but, um, yeah, tears, I think for me, it would go, and I don't think Hamilton's a trump card like McAvoy or Dolly neither, but I do think I'd go Hamilton at the top. Then I'd go shabbat chikrin sanderson and then i would well and i'd throw hughes in there tentatively just because we don't we haven't seen him like if he if he plays like people expect him to play i'd put him in there right now he's kind of like i'd put him there but i would very easily take him out too, like halfway through the year if he's not living up to the hype um but based on the hype he would be in that category too as a dynamic game breaker um but yeah so like hamilton shabbat chikrin sanderson below hamilton uh with hughes too and then I'd put like Zoo Marino, then I'd put Kevin Ball. Like 
it just goes down. So I think New Jersey has great depth, but I do think that Ottawa with the three game breakers up front um, does kind of have the edge in that sense. Like you were saying, uh, it's just tough again, because Hamilton's kind of the top dog there. So you can make the the argument that like, oh, I'd rather have Hamilton, you know, than having Shabbat and Chicker in there. And, and people will say it. And again, Hamilton's a great defenseman. So you can have that opinion too. But uh, I'd probably give Ottawa the edge on defense too. Although I do think it's close just because, yeah, New Jersey's got the depth, right? And then Nemich as well could come up, like you said, and, and suddenly you've got a whole different look where you've got a totally stacked defense in New Jersey. So um, they have options in New Jersey. They really do. And they, they the thing I'm, I find about this lineup is that they've built it very well. Like every aspect of it, and, and even on defense, they have no liabilities. There's not one guy. Like in Ottawa, I'm still going to say like Hamannick or Bernard Docker could be a liability for the Sens just because they're not like a strong player necessarily. They're kind of like a question mark. So. Uh, I don't see that in New Jersey. Even Colin Miller's a, a good defenseman. He's fine on that bottom pairing. Like, they have no weakness. So, um, that's why I think they're hard to beat. They're very well built, like, through and through from the top to the bottom. So, uh, I think, yeah, regardless of if, if you give the edge to Ottawa on defense, Luke Hughes could easily come out and be, you know, a top guy. Uh, and suddenly, like, it's it's much more favored towards New Jersey, right? Nemich could come up. So, uh, goaltending, I would also take Ottawa just because I believe in Anton Forsberg mainly. And that's because I think they can have that great tandem of Corpusello Forsberg. Corpusello obviously had a, a very good year last year, nine one five save percentage. Performed even better in LA. He had nine two two there since after he got traded to um, Schmid. I just don't know if that's sustainable having that those numbers. You know, that's twenty three years old. Like you said, hasn't played a full year. Um, did he just get hot, or is that actually going to be the guy he is? I think it's more likely he just got hot, and he's not going to be a nine two zero plus save percentage goaltender for his career. So. Um, Vanacek too, not super high on him. He's kind of had a good year. Nine one one's fine, but like you said, kind of trailed off down the stretch. So now he's in a question mark position too. Um, I think Corpusello and, and Forsberg should be uh, at worst an average level tandem, and I think they'll be above average too. Um, so I would take them, but again, we have to see it, and that's the thing with Ottawa. We have to see it. We have to like even talking about their defense. We talked about having three game breakers, so maybe they get the edge. We have to see it, right? We have to see Trick Chicker and work in Ottawa over a full, uh, full season. We have to see him stay healthy. We have to see him work with Shabbat, right? We have to see Sanderson uh, sustain that same performance he did last year. Like, we have to see it. It's all about proving it now for Ottawa. So uh, as much as we can give them the edge, I think, like we talked about, New Jersey already proved it. Uh, Ottawa still has to prove it. So regardless of where we favor the Sens, it's just about, like, actually proving it and not just looking good on paper. Uh, and also, New Jersey has... Curtis Lazar and Chris Tierney uh, in their their wings. So <laughs> that's an interesting little tidbit that I was not aware of. But um, yeah, we can kind of summarize as a whole. I think New Jersey is the better team here by far because they proved it. And that's just a matter of like, we saw how good they were last year. But I also think that New Jersey should serve as like an idol for the Sens because, uh, you know, like we talked about, they were chanting to fire their coach at the beginning of last season. And then they ended up being a top team for the majority of the year. And they even chanted like, we're sorry to their coach. So it's just like a role model where if you're the Sens and you look at how rough of a spot that organization was in, you know, one year ago and how quickly they turned that around by winning like 13 games in a row. I mean, it's night and day. If you can go on a winning streak like that, the whole persona of the team changes. Like it's insane how fast things can actually flip. And like when they won those games and suddenly they're at the top of the league, like everybody around the league saw them differently. Like the outlook changed on the team from being this bottom dwelling rebuilder who who has failed their rebuild so far to being like this real contending 
roster with an excellent coach and an excellent everything. So, I mean, if the Sens can get hot, I see them, you know, as a team who can very much end up in that position too, where by the end of this coming season, like the outlook on them has changed entirely around the league. And that's really what I hope for. Because right now, like nobody around the league really takes Ottawa seriously. They just have to prove it. So that's kind of my motto entering this year is prove it. So yeah, that's what I got. That's such a great point because you look at the the Atlantic and everyone's like, oh, it's such a beast. There's so many good teams and us included because it's true. But you look at the Metro last year, even, you know, you had Pittsburgh, Washington, you had the Islanders, the Rangers, the, the Hurricanes, like that's five teams who were perennial playoff threats every year. And the Devils just said, we don't care. And they vaulted themselves to the top. So when I'm talking and we both talk about the Sens making noise in the Atlantic and expecting more than a wild card and all that, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a team that just said, screw it. We're going to prove we're one of the best in the division and going out and doing it. You've got aging cores in Boston. You've got, uh, I don't want to say aging in Toronto, but like question marks in Toronto still with Nylander and all of that. You've got, um, you know, Tampa an aging core. Like they, you never know when you can, and it was John Cooper. What Ian Mendez told us when he, we had him on the show this summer was John Cooper once told him like, there's going to be a season where the Ottawa's and the Buffalo's and the Detroit's kind of start butting heads with Tampa, Boston, Toronto, and Ottawa has to be the team to push that envelope. They're not going to keel over. I mean, the last two years, the Tampa Bay lightning have been brutal to start the year. They've absolutely been brutal and they've picked up as they've gone on. There just hasn't been a match in the division to kind of, push them out of a top three in the division. But it's up to the Sens now to do that because the Sens have also faltered. But now they're in a spot where they can just take the reins and do what the Devils did last year and put themselves. And you're right, the narrative completely shifted on the Devils. They were the, the young team that, oh, the future is bright. They'll be good in the future. And they're, they're I think they're a top three cup contender now on most uh, most betting sites. Like they're the favorite in most uh, you know markets to be in the Stanley Cup finals, which is crazy. So. That's what we have to you have to expect, I think, from the Sens this year, and I don't think that's out of out of pocket. I think that's completely justified. The players should, the coach should, everyone should. Um, the the fun thing that I've noticed as a trend, because I'm I'm I don't want to say that's going to wrap up our comparison series, but we've done the ones we wanted to get to, uh, just with, with most of the teams in the Atlantic and then the Devils. Like those are the ones we wanted to hit. Um, what I noticed is mostly with the defensemen. The forwards was a little you know here and there, but Tampa, Buffalo, and Boston all have a top, top defenseman. They do, right? They've got McAvoy, Darlene, uh, Hedman. Devils have Hamilton. Like, those are all top, top guys. Norris contention. The Sens, though, have three guys who have that potential. I still think Thomas Shabbat's got that potential to be a top 15 defenseman in the league when he's at his best. Jacob Chikrin got Norris votes two years ago. Uh, Jake Sanderson, of all of them, though, is the guy who can push that. Like, he could be a top five defenseman in the league with his potential. So it's, it's what I've noticed is the, on the D side. Anyway, we are, we're Sens fans and us specifically are also very confident in the Sens blue line going into next year. But every comparison we've done, we've, we've kind of conceded to the top guy on the other team and that's fine. But then it's Shabbat chicken Sanderson are right there and could push. So we need a big year from one of those guys to just say, I'm the top guy here. And I don't know who it's going to be. It could be any of the three. I'd actually be curious. We could maybe do a, who do you think has the most potential? We'll do that next episode maybe, but um, that's, that's where I, what I've noticed. And I don't know if you have any other comments, like maybe about the forwards, like we we've, the forwards were interesting too, but um, defense wise, I think it's, it's always been like, okay, top guy on this team is in a different tier than 
one, two, three, and then the second best on the other teams also in that tier, and then the rest. So it's very interesting. I think we, if anything, I think we're underselling the Sens core because the only question around Chikrin, because he can be a top defenseman in the league as well, the only question on him is health. And if he can stay healthy, he could be top 15, top 10. Like it's it's interesting to me. So um, just before we wrap up here, if you have any more thoughts just on the comparison series, let's call it, um, because it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did all those. Yeah, me too. And, and I think that, like you said, the, the defense is a big thing for Ottawa. I think that Tim and Brady proved themselves last year in, in the sense that they can be like the guy, like they can really step up and lead the team. Now you need one of those guys. And, and you know, everybody is kind of down on Shabbat, including myself. But like, I would love to see Thomas Shabbat come out and, and prove himself as the number one guy after really, you know, struggling last year. I mean, I just I think that he still does have that potential. I agree with you. And it's not like he's some old man now. Like he, he's still able like he's he's in his prime. And really, Shabbat should be the X Factor game changer on this team, as he has been. So I'd love to see that. But regardless, like you said, I think, yeah, Tim, Tim and Brady proved themselves. But now it's got to be Shabbat, Chikrin or Sanderson or a combo of them who, who step up and become like actual top defensemen. Because next summer, I'd love to do this again and look at, um, you know, actually be able to say, OK, now one of those guys is in this tier where, you know, they can match up with the the Darlene's, the Hamiltons of the world. Right. Like they can actually be on that tier as well. So right now they're not there. But I think that, yeah, one of them should be expected to It'd be pretty disappointing if none of them um, emerge this year, this year, I'd say. But regardless, they've got three, three, in my opinion, top 30 defensemen. And that is still pretty good. Um, but having the actual top guy is really what pushes you over the edge. And right now Ottawa is just like on the verge of, of getting over that edge. So it's about just everybody stepping up a little bit. And, and one of those guys kind of proving themselves as the top dog. So yeah, I'm good. This, this was a fun series and uh, it got a lot of traction. People liked it. So uh, definitely exciting. And now we can kind of turn our heads into actual sense hockey, which is going to be uh, the first, you know, like we obviously haven't covered actual games. We started this in the off season. So It'll be fun to get into some actual uh, game reviews and stuff like that. Yeah, I can't wait. And do, doing this, man, I just got so fired up for the season. And we're right there, uh, just over a month away from opening day. So we will see you on episode 37 coming up next this, this week. Uh, thank you for, for watching, for listening. If you're on the YouTube, like and subscribe to the YouTube page. We broke 1,000 a couple weeks ago, and our goal was to hit 1,000 subscribers by training camp. And we did that with with plenty of time to spare. So we Thank everyone for subscribing. If you're watching, you're not subscribed, do it. And you can hit the little bell button. I think that'll give you a notification when we drop an episode. More, more importantly, though, when we go live, when Shane Pinto signs a contract, we're probably going to go live if we can. Like we've got all these options on YouTube. So head over there if you haven't. You can see our beautiful faces as well. So thanks everyone for joining us. We will see you all on Friday.